Hello, kids. Stop, stop, stop. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. You hit the right play button. You're at the right spot. Welcome to the Ingle Angle podcast, the finest podcast with that name. I am Fort Worth Star Telegram columnist, Mac Ingle, and I want to get to a couple of things before I introduce uh, today's special guest for this episode. Very special guest, I might add. Uh, we're doing these now with uh, video. Before, when we first started this podcast a few months ago, it was just audio. Now they were like, hey, no, see, see if you can do video too. I was like, oh, okay, I really I don't like being on camera, even though I'm a damn handsome man. But I'm really paranoid and self-conscious about this part of my hair because I'm noticing I'm 49 and I'm pretty sure I'm starting to lose it in the back. And I am not happy about this at all. So I'm a little self-conscious about it. And uh, I need some product. I need some gel or something like that on the left side. Just keep sticking out. Anyways, uh, let's move on to more pressing issues. Uh, on a serious note, I really want to thank the nice people at Fort Worth Weekly Magazine. Uh, they featured me recently in their Best of 2022 edition. Anytime somebody says you're the best of anything, take it. Embrace it. Enjoy it. Celebrate it. Most days, people really don't care who you are or what you did. Uh, if they do, they really just want you to get out of their way and or for you to give them money. So if somebody takes the time to say that you're great at something or you did a good job, tell them thank you and enjoy it. Uh, Fort Worth Weekly was kind enough to say that I am the best sportscaster, sports writer in DFW in 2022. Humbly, they're right. Uh, one more thing I want to talk about real quick before we move on to our guest and that is, I want to give a shout out to my older brother, David Engel. David Engel, I think is, I think he's 57, 57, 58. Anyways, he's the crazy person who earned his PhD, PhD in the classics from the University of California, Berkeley. It's a pretty good school, junior college-ish, ish. David was actually in a tenure track job at Penn State University, where in his third year, he quit. This guy earned his PhD in the classics only to quit three years into a tenure track job. Tenure track, tenure track job is like a Supreme Court justice. You are bulletproof forever at a pretty good salary teaching to college kids. And he quit. He quit to move from State College, Pennsylvania to be with his wife in Pittsburgh where he takes a job basically as a bank teller. And he does that. Uh, anyways, it worked out for him pretty well. He's become a very successful financial advisor. And now he lives with his wife and their two daughters in Philadelphia. Daughter now, oldest daughter's now in college. This week, the reason I'm giving him a, I'm giving him a shout out is that uh, this week he completed a cross-country bike ride. And I'm not talking like Andorra, Belgium, or some of these fake eight-mile countries that exist all over Europe. He pedaled all the way across the United States. He leaves his house in West Philadelphia, doesn't go out of his way to slap Chris Rock, and he rides more than 4,000 miles on his bike by himself, not in a group, not in a group, to reach the Pacific Ocean in Oregon. Took him about 40 days, give or take, and he actually finished not too far from where Lewis and Clark wrapped up uh, their trip which occurred, I think, a little bit more than 20 years ago, give or take. 
Anyway, congratulations, David Engel. That's a hell of an accomplishment. It's quite inspiring. If he can do it, you can do it. I probably won't be doing it. Guest for this episode is someone I am lucky to land. Uh, this guest is one of those crazy people when you see her on television, especially where she goes, you immediately think, wow, that's insane. That doesn't look very safe. I hope she's okay. Uh, she's okay. This woman is fearless. She's a badass. She's a total pro and a heck of a reporter. Uh, she currently works as a correspondent for ABC News. Before moving to ABC News, she worked at CBS News for more than 15 years, where she covered, amongst other stories, hurricanes, COVID vaccination efforts, the sexual assault allegations at Fort Hood. Again, lots of other stories she covered nationally than just those. She also worked in the Dallas-Fort Worth market at KTVT, the CBS affiliate. She has won multiple Associated Press Awards, as well as three Lone Star Emmys. She's also a proud mother of a young son. With ABC, you are likely familiar with her work on the topic which we will discuss now, the United States and our border with Mexico, and whether America indeed has a border crisis. Here she is, Miss, let me see if I can get this right. I don't think I'm going to get this right. Maria Villarreal. The reason I wanted to have you on was a uh, non-red or blue look at the status of the immigration issue in the United States, because it mm. comes up mostly as a weapon during campaign campaigns, political campaigns. And what I've consistently seen is that I don't know what to believe. I've been to the border out in West Texas a couple of times, but nobody's out there. I mean, there's nobody, there's nobody there. But you've gone to places where you can actually see it and report on it, and you've lived it in a way for a number of years. How many years have you been going down there to, to do stories on this? Oh, well, it's funny because I am a border kid. I grew up in South Texas um, in a town called Edinburgh. Mm -hmm. um, and so I kind of have grown up around it for the most part, but it was never at this level. Um, but I would probably say I've been covering the border as a journalist since I kind of started my career, which is, uh, you know, 15-ish years. Yeah, we're not going to go into the details, right. but let's just say <laughs> around 15 years. Um, but I would say more extensively when the Trump administration took over. Um, six to seven years, give or take. So, um, yeah. So, Maria, is there a crisis at the border? Huh. Um, well, first of all, can I can I tell you something really quick? Can you just adjust? Can you say Maria? Is that how it's pronounced? Well, it's actually pronounced Mireya, but a lot of let me people try, let me see if I get no. I want to try to do that. So, how do I how do I say it the correct way? Mirera? Mirella. 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 Yeah. So, so, so let's just say for purposes of North Texas and for most of the country, Maria is totally Maria. fine with me. Maria. Maria. Yes, I'm going to try to get it. I, I'm going to screw it up. I'm going to try to get it right. But I don't think it's. Uh, yeah, I listen. Global. It's okay. No, <laughs> listen. It's funny because you know I'm I'm still very good friends with Doug Dunbar. I was uh, over mm. at uh, CBS CBS DFW for a long time, and um, and we just I was totally okay. He doesn't, you know, it's Maria. 
totally fine. Right. So, so most yeah. people uh, don't think my name is Mac. It's Matt, M-A-T-T, or Mark, or Max. <laughs> those are those are options one through three before they're like, Mac? No one's named Mac. So yeah. yours is a totally different deal because I'm sure, like, do, do, native, do native Spanish speakers get it right the first time? Do they immediately know? Yes. For the most part, yeah, okay. um, yeah, uh, sometimes it's a little bit. I'm surprised sometimes, like when I go to San Antonio and I tell them my, my name, and they're like, How do you spell that? I'm like, Uh, you're, <laughs> you're Spanish, but but all that to say, um, yeah, I, I would say, I think just in general, um, if you're not Hispanic, you do have a, a tough time, but Maria is totally fine with me. Oh, I yeah. just tell people, like, Not Maria, I'm okay. telling you, cannot do it, Maria. okay, Maria, okay. Um, yeah, feel free to ask me the question again, by the way, which is, I think you asked about prices of the board, yeah, because that's the hell, it's the headline you always yeah. see, right? It's the easy search engine optimization headline that you'll see either on television networks or online and Instagram or Twitter crisis at the border. You've been there. Is there a crisis at the border? You know, listen, there is what I would call a temporary crisis. And, and what, why I say it like that is because it moves depending on uh, time of year, depending on what political party, uh, or for that matter, what state has taken this up at the time, uh, where the drama is. So I think the crisis is, 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 um, do we have an immigration problem? Yes, absolutely. But when you use the word crisis, I think that's meant to put fear into people and to make sure. them think that things are out of control. And for, for me and what I've experienced, especially over the last six to seven years is that the crisis is where you shine the light if that makes any sense. Uh, is there any way to report on it without the audience immediately thinking that the reporter or the network, the platform immediately has some biased bent in, in either direction mm -hmm. and that the audience is left thinking, well, I, I don't, I can't get a straight shot on this because this is way too right or way too left. You know, for me, what I tell people all the time, and it's not just because I've worked at these two networks, but I think for me, it, it, you, you have to take a hard look at the kind of news that you're watching and where you're watching it. And so, um, I think that if you, um, you have certain political, um, you know, beliefs, you, you, that you search for the news that you want to hear and you want to know about. So, you know, uh, and it's totally fine. I mean, listen, if you want something that is a, what leads one way or another, you know where to find it, you know, um, and I don't need to tell, tell you what those are, right. but I will also say that, that there are a lot of places where you can find very unfortunate, the way I'm going to put it, but very bland, down the middle, straightforward news. Um, and sometimes I think that that does hurt what people say like, oh, you're just doing it for ratings. And the reality is, is like, if we were doing it for ratings, you would take it to one, from one extreme to the other, right? Um, so for me, I think that there are places that you can find reputable, legitimate information coming out from the border. Um, and for me, obviously, I, I not to sound biased, but yeah, I do think that ABC is a big place where you can find that. Um, you know, there's no benefit for us to play one side up over the other. Um, but it's inevitable. And I think a lot of that just comes from people having very strong feelings about this issue. I remember listening to Ann Curry speak at a, a symposium um, that was hosted by Bob Schieffer at TCU. And she was talking about how now in television network news coverage, we know, or the networks know exactly 
what the consumers are watching and when they're watching. Mm. When certain story goes on, they turn off. When certain stories goes on, they turn it on and they watch. No different than my my, my industry. Any everybody's tracking everybody now. Um, and and her her reference point of that uh, as regards to that was uh, the war in Afghanistan. People just were checked out on it. We have seen this issue about immigration played up by the Trump administration and his campaign for for several years now. From what you can tell, are people still engaged in this story, or are they are they doing what Anne referenced, which is they're just moved on to something else? You know, I think it comes in waves. And I think it's all very dependent on who is raising the flag of like caution, the flag of crisis, right? right. Um, I think that when you have, um, you know, a Governor Abbott that is obviously um, said he he knows that this speaks to people, right? He knows it speaks to his base of people. Um, he understands the strategy that he wants to take, and for him, this is a big one, right? So he's gonna he's definitely going to wave that flag out there, and I think that for his base of people it's definitely it's definitely uh, um it is going to grab your attention but for the general public do i think that this is something that will make you tune in tonight on abc news wfa um i don't know i don't know if it moves it but i will say once the momentum starts for example you know we've seen the busing of migrants happening here in texas for now i think it's over two months but it wasn't until recently that momentum started to gain um from how the strategy changed. Um, so you're no longer just busing migrants to Washington, D.C. Now you've added the New York factor. Right. And what you do by by that is, you know, it's, it's, listen, in my opinion, this is a political strategy that worked in Abbott's favor. You know, I hate to make it sound like this is a, you know, all just political theater because there is real news happening along the border that needs to be addressed. But a lot of this is showmanship. Uh, one theory that I have heard, and I wanted to test this out with you, we've obviously one of the big deals that we have seen now in the last uh, year or so are places of work trying to find people to fill jobs, right? And we, the, the most common excuse we hear is people are staying home and just living off government, essentially welfare checks or the extension of PPP loans, and nobody really looks into it. Like, oh, okay, people are just making more money drawing unemployment than they would if they went to work as a waiter at a restaurant. So somebody who's close to me, who's in finance, a pretty bright man, has a PhD, said what nobody is reporting or acknowledging is that the reason why these jobs aren't filled is because the Trump administration did such a good job of restricting immigration and changing its immigration policy is that those people who normally would be here for those jobs and take those jobs and work in those jobs aren't here anymore. Do you think that's true or not? Uh, so I think that that uh, is partially true, right? I definitely think that um, it, the problem when you're talking about immigration, right, is that you're not just talking about, like, in order to really talk about the problem, you can't just talk about what happens at the border, right? Even though the border wall and migrants crossing over the Rio Grande River. I mean, that is just the flashy video that's going to, you know, get you to tune in. But the reality is, it's like, oh, you know, the conversations that don't, people don't have because of what you said right now is that like, it's not sexy to talk about this stuff, but yeah, you need to talk about the jobs that, you know, um, migrants, you know, um, 
come into the U.S. and and help us with, um, and also like the federal court system, right? How backed up it is. Um, but when you talk about jobs, I do think that that is something that people don't realize is happening. You know, a, a lot of these people that are coming over, they're coming over to work, right? They're not coming over to sit here and wait for their asylum cases to be heard. But unfortunately, that is exactly what's happening. The way the law is written right now, the way the policies have kind of um, kind of been worked out, when you're coming in to have your asylum cases heard, you don't have the opportunity to apply for all of the necessary documents that are needed in order for you to work as a citizen here in the country or just work in the country. Right. Um, so this idea like that you're going to get a temporary visa and all these other things, like it doesn't work like that for everybody. Um, especially when you're talking about the jobs that you just mentioned, which are like, you know, um, I don't know, you could talk about field work. You could talk about waitressing, basically kind of these low level entry jobs. Um, you, you know, if you're an engineer and you're, your company's going to sponsor you in from, you know, India, that's a completely different conversation. Right. But if you're talking about people that are coming across, you know, the border, you know, and they're waiting for their asylum cases to be heard, it's, you know, those people legally cannot get work. However, I am of business owners in the DFW area that have said, we need these people because you know what? The regular person out there living in DFW doesn't want to work at the um, car wash right. at three o'clock in the afternoon when it's 110 degrees outside. But you know who will? These migrants that are trying to to and and navigate the federal court system, the asylum process. They've got to provide for their families here. They do not want because also. On the flip side of it, they possibly be asking for some sort of assistance. They don't because they don't even want to go down that road because they don't want to hurt their chances of getting asylum. So what do they do? They under the table are getting paid by some of these businesses so that they can work and provide for their families. When you look at the immigration issue, and I think Donald Trump tapped into something I'm paraphrasing, but he said it. Why can't, why do we get all these people coming in from, now these are his words, and I know you know the quote I'm going to, these shithole countries, right? And um it does seem to me that he tapped into a feeling. I think a lot of Americans think that what, why, why are they, where are these people who don't look like us coming over, over here in your mind, when he said that as much as that probably irritated you, but when he said that, did you think that tapped into this sort of underlying fear that a lot of Americans have about immigration, that those who are coming in, we don't really want you, even though you just said something that is inescapably true they're the do ones doing the jobs that we need to have done because we don't want to do them. You know, I think for me, um, yeah, I listen, I did, did, did former president Trump create the problem of how we feel about migrants in our country? No, I don't think he did. What I think he did was he made it a little bit more acceptable to talk about the process and these people and these countries in a way that probably wasn't, um, as respectful as we we would like a president to talk about these places. And then what that did was that set an example for other people around the country, regular people like you and me to talk this way about people, about migrants or asylum seekers. You know, I think for me, um, you know, again, uh, it is tough because, um, you know, I'm a parent and when I go down to the border and I see a, a six or seven year old kid, like in front of me crossing the Rio Grande, River, their parents, you know, 
you got to think as a reasonable human being, nobody would put themselves or their children in that kind of danger if it wasn't the last resort for them. So while, you know, while I can appreciate that maybe, um, I mean, do I think that he could have chosen his words more wisely? Yes, I think Trump could have done that in a lot of situations. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to these asylum seekers, these migrants, I certainly think that how he approached them wasn't necessarily wrong. It just wasn't done in the right way so that people can truly understand like how bad it is in those countries. So, you know, again, I kind of, it's almost like I agree to disagree with him. <laughs> you reported on the uh, construction of the border wall, which was a big point mm-hmm. of emphasis during his campaign. And my prediction was uh, that they wouldn't finish it and that eventually erosion uh, and then eventually some future president would make, you know, a big stand up photo op of taking it down. Not not the same, but the same imagery as, say, another wall that was built in Berlin and that came down. And this was going to be about immigration and building a bridge and one people and all that. Four years, five, six years later, after all that started, where where are we on that process? Is it just the bridge to nowhere? Pretty much, pretty much. I think what's interesting is is that, like, uh, you know, um, when so when when I was starting off my career down in South Texas, there was all this conversation about building up the levees, right, and about yeah. how important it was because at the time we were very vulnerable down in South Texas to all of this massive flooding as we got hit by tropical storms and hurricanes. But when you sat back and realized what was really happening, that was another administration basically building a border wall, except they built it with the caveat that it was levees and they were meant for... Um, that was meant for flooding. But the reality was, is that this border wall has been built and has been under construction for decades now. Um, The difference is, is that Trump really found something that spoke to people on one side or the other. Um, He allocated millions of dollars, millions of dollars to try to get the wall built completely because there are gaps in the border wall. Honestly, the construction along the border wall has stopped completely. Um, I don't think that border agents are all that frustrated with that. Um, I think what they are frustrated with is that they don't have money right now to hire more agents, to gain more technology. To them, I think the wall is what it is at this point, but we're in a we're in a time and space where technology is way more important than that physical wall being there. I mean, honestly, that's just kind of a physical deterrent that you can see in front of you. It doesn't do as much as what people might think. If a family wanted to cross illegally today in Arizona, California, Texas, wherever, do you think it's any tougher today than it was when you were a kid growing up on the border? Um, no, I don't think it's any tougher. Um, I think we, I think what we've done is that we um, have a lot of policies in place, a lot of laws that are very confusing and, um, and we're really not enforcing any of them very well. There's not enough federal judges around to hear all these asylum cases. And so, you know, then these cases linger for years. And so when you hear Trump, for example, or anybody, any politician saying, well, these people don't show up to their court cases. You know, I'm not saying that you shouldn't, but I am saying, well, listen, after three years of waiting to hear, to have one of your initial hearings heard, I mean, what do you expect? 
you know, the system is see and nobody that is the problem because if you do the multi-billion dollar industry that you have created around the immigration issues in the united states will start to unravel and then a lot of people will be affected is there any nation i understand this is a hard question in the sense that the united states is a nation of 335 306 million people and every other country that has different immigration policies probably is going to be a lot smaller uh, I know, you know, Australia has unique immigration policies. They're pretty restrictive uh, and they're dealing with those issues. Then you have other countries in Europe uh, that have very restrictive you know, immigration policies and that's created a lot of problems. Is there any country that you look at and say, that's a pretty good one. They they get it pretty close to right. Or is the fact is there's just no apples to apples to even do that? Um. You know, I probably would would uh, would agree with you in the fact that, like, I'm not really sure anybody has, has it completely right. I'm not really sure anybody has the perfect strategy in making immigration work um, in their in their countries. Honestly, uh, when you watch news coverage of immigration stories, because you've been down there and you've lived it and, and covered it for as long as you have, what do you come away with thinking that? Uh, are the biggest misconceptions that people have about this issue? Huh. It's, it's funny. Um, I actually think the biggest misconception for me is that people don't think because it's not happening in my backyard, it doesn't affect me. Right. We ended up in Uvalde because while there are a lot of very democratic counties um, around the South Texas border, you know, Uvalde and Uvalde County skews a lot more conservative. And at the time, their mayor and their city um, leaders and, and county leaders were asking for more help from um, both federal and state agencies. Um, uh, Governor Abbott had been down in Uvalde quite a bit. Um, he, they were the center point of a lot of his uh, we need more help down here kind of conversations. Um, and a lot of it had to do with the fact that even though Uvalde is about 70 or so miles away from the border, they were getting a lot of the residual um, uh, chases and, you know, and foot traffic. And at one point, um, I think there were even buses being taken from the border into Uvalde and migrants were being dropped off in that city. And so again, um, you know, you hear, you have a city that really says we have nothing to do with immigration. Right. And then once you connect the dots, you realize that a lot of the conversations about why maybe a lot of local officials didn't take what happened in Uvalde on May 24th, the shooting so seriously was because initially a lot of people thought it was just another bailout having to right. do with immigration. So again, you know, it sounds weird to put the two and two together, but I do think like, you know, you may not think about it, but whether it's that conversation, whether it's the job conversation, whether it's, you know, resources um, federally going to immigration and, you know, asylum seeking courts and judges and staff, I mean, all of that does have a direct effect on us. Um, and I do think that we should have this bigger conversation. I, I think, unfortunately, I'm not sure people are willing to listen um, and have those open conversations right now. Uh, one, two more things I'll let you go. Having mm -hmm. grown up there, uh, you've seen how it's changed. And, you know, I have a good friend who grew up in Brownsville. His father was a Border Patrol agent, Customs. And from what he's described, and I remember going down to visit him there back in the mid-90s, 
Uh, you could go back and forth to Matamoros. So it was no big deal. And now he says people really don't do that anymore for different reasons, not immigration related. That was more crime related. Uh, but from how you've seen it all evolve and change, especially in South Texas, is it really that much different or is it kind of still the same? You know, I, th I think it's considerably different. I mean, yeah. to, to your point, I mean, um, I used to go over with my family all the time. We used to go eat in a little town called Progreso. Um, and, uh, for the first, yeah. you know, a lot of this really started to get out of control, not because of immigration and issues with immigration, but more because of drugs and cartel violence. That being said, while drugs are still a huge issue, fentanyl is a huge issue right now along the border being crossed from Mexico into the U S. Um, I think that the cartels have a very big stronghold along the border and um, they are not only in control of the drug routes, but also the human smuggling routes as well. And so, yeah, I definitely think a lot has changed along the border and, and I would caution people if this is, if you don't need to go there, I'm not really sure I would suggest you walking over without uh, making a big plan of it. Uh, last thing I want to ask you, if a voter, not a voter, just citizen, consumer, a neighbor comes to you and says, I want to learn more about this subject. So I feel like I know what it is that's going on, uh, but I don't have all day to do it. You know, I, people are busy, you know, kids and jobs and, you know, YouTube. Where should they go to? I mean, and seriously, all this junk is just a distraction and it takes away from things that we probably sh we know we should be doing, but we don't. So where should we go to consume that to be up to date and more educated about it without feeling like whatever we're watching is just so polar opposite and colorized in the name of grabbing ratings. Yeah, that's really tough nowadays because I will say even some of the, um, even some of the agents that are heading up a lot of like these, uh, um, you would think, right, that federal agents down along the border, well, it'd be great to kind of tap into them and understand where they're coming from, but you're not going to get a lot from them right now. I mean, the Department of Homeland Security is extremely quiet about what's happening um, immigration-wise. Uh, the Biden administration also has not um, been very open to discussing issues along the border, good and bad for that matter. Um, I think my best advice would be to find someone that speaks to what you need to hear, not what you want to hear, individuals versus bigger platforms. Of course, you know what you're going to get when you're watching CNN, MSNBC, Fox, um, I would think ABC and CBS, we all have very distinct personalities, but I would say, try and find people, whether it's, you know, some people might, might say like, oh, if I'm the best YouTuber, who is this great journalist? Great. If you trust them and you think they have the experience that speaks to this issue, great. But, but what I'm saying is find that individual journalist or reporter that has been down there, that, that has seen it with their own eyes, that has talked to more than just one side or the other. I know that takes a little bit of digging, but I think you can kind of understand. I mean, there's a lot of great reporters who are doing some really strong work along the border. Some of them work for places like the New York Times, the Washington Post, of course, ABC, CBS, NBC, um, but they are individuals. I mean, I'm not saying go jump on to one of the shows. Mm -hmm. I'm saying follow someone in particular and really kind of dig into their work. Uh, okay. Last thing I'll ask you, last thing real quick. Yeah. What's your biggest on-air screw up that you ever had? Mm -hmm. I know this is going to sound really weird, but I don't think I really have one. Better be I, careful. I knock on wood. I know. I know. Knock on wood. I've, there have been a couple of times that I've messed people's names up. 
um, a couple of times that I've obviously like, uh, I, but I haven't fallen. I haven't, um, <laughs> I haven't said it. I have a real bad pirate mouth, like a, a potty mouth, like bad. And I haven't said any bad words yet on air. Um, yeah. Although I will say there was one time in San Antonio where we actually had to like, um, it was during Fiesta. They have a, a time called Fiesta and everybody gets really crazy drunk. And there was a lot of people behind me that were really drunk and we had to make friends with them. Um, and I just remember two drunk guys being behind me as my security guys. Cause we had nothing else to convince them to do. Um, but as far as like anything major, I don't, I just, I don't remember anything. I mean, I've had a couple of times that my hair is like sticking up and things like that, but I'm yeah. So nothing yet, but I think you, you just jinxed me. So thanks oh, a yeah, lot. Right. That, that is a big knock on wood. Hey, listen, uh, thank you very much for this. I, I've, I've been a great admirer of your work for a long time. I tell you a quick story because you'll laugh about this. So about four, four years ago, my maybe three years ago, my Twitter account got hacked and all these people kept saying that whoever hacked me and I was really nervous. Uh, I was hacked. And so, and it was a, it was a big, I was part of a, big group of people, media professionals who were hacked. And there, I was panicked. I'm like, Oh my God, what are they, what's in there? I don't want, they got my phone, they got my computer. What are they going to see? And, um, so I finally, I get back into it and I see whomever has hacked me was DMing a lot of people. And one of them was you and they, and, and the, the link was here, open this. And you ask the question, you know, what is it? And the, whoever it was that had hacked me responded and then you said, no, I don't think so. And then that person said, like, go fuck yourself or something like that. <laughs> and I was mortified. I'm like, oh, my God, this is awful. So I'm calling all of these people that we know mutually. And I'm like, do you have a number? Do you have anything? Give an email address, anything. I didn't send it. I would never send that. And uh, for the longest time, I, I don't think I ever got to you. I don't think I ever reached you, but I was in a total panic about it. I'm like, I didn't send that. I'm like, I'll send a lot of things and I'll say a lot of things and I'll stick my foot in my mouth, but I would never have sent that. So uh, it took several months and then you followed me again on Twitter. I'm like, okay, she knows it wasn't me, but I was always very worried about that. So for you to get over that, even though it wasn't me to come on here, I very much appreciate it. Thank you. No, no. I, I love what I can kind of hang out with um, other local journalists that, that you obviously make a huge impact in the community. I think you do a great job. But um, but yeah, I definitely held it against you for a little bit, just I so know. you know. No, uh, <laughs> no. I Listen, it, it, weird, it was weird, but it, it all got itself solved and, and uh-huh. figured out. And I'm glad that you uh, were able to... to to kind of take care of it. So thank you. Well, have a great yeah. fall. Very and best of luck to your son and thank please you. travel safe and take care of yourself. I, I, I'll be honest. I see you go someplace sometimes and I'm like, man, I hope she's careful because it ain't worth it. They ain't paying you enough. <laughs> no, I, and I know you, I know you do it because you love it and you're really good at it, but I, I know you go some places sometimes. And I think sometimes as a journalist, we kind of fool ourselves. We, we I, I don't say this, I say this as a, as a profession. I think I've done it. I've been in places that might be a little dangerous and I'm like, oh, I'm okay. I'm, I, I'm just doing my job. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. If, if you're in a dangerous place, you're in a dangerous place. So I see where you go sometimes. I'm like, yeah, I hope she's careful because you just don't know. And so I, I, I am concerned for any journalist out there who puts themselves. Well, yeah, I, you, go ahead. No, no. I just said, thank you. I said, I appreciate that. I know, you know, I think even my mom worries about me still. So, oh, I you bet, know, I bet. Well, listen, I didn't make, I, I really appreciate it. This is very enlightening. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mac. We'll okay. talk to you. Okay. Take care.